Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. Are you listening to this podcast on the way to pick up the kids from school? Are you catching up on your podcast while on maternity, paternity or parental leave? Are you tuning in because you need help in balancing parenting life and work, especially with summer coming up? Or are you an employer who simply wants to make sure their employees are happy and productive? Well, good news, this is the episode for you. So talk to us today about what's working for working parents and how employers and HR teams can support these employees. We're delighted to be joined by one of the co-founders of Platform 55, the brilliant Tracy Gunn. Thanks for joining us, Tracy. How are you? Thank you so much, Owen, and thank you for that lovely introduction. No worries. Looking forward to the chat. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And brilliant to have you here, Tracy. Thanks, Mary. Brilliant. Perfect. So we'll jump right in. Uh, a lot to talk about. and it's, it's a topic we've actually been wanting to speak about for quite a while, Tracy. So delighted to have you on to chat about it. Um, I suppose kind of a bit of a context setter at the start, Tracy. Firstly, look, it's been a, co- a tough couple of years all around. And I think, I suppose, working parents have probably felt it uh, quite acutely as well. So I think from your perspective, Tracy, how are parents feeling? Any kind of insights, standout statistics, that kind of stuff? Absolutely, Owen. And I think it is important to acknowledge, I think that the way that we live, we work and we parent is so different now just to, you know, how it was a few years ago. And I think on a plus side, the opportunity that we, many of us now have to work flexibly and to work remotely has been a huge game changer and a huge advantage for many, many people, not just working parents and carers, you know, Many people are saying that they're saving maybe anywhere between three to four hours a day, which they can then choose to spend, you know, on on other things. So I think that's brilliant. I think if we look perhaps at some of the other things that are going on, there are definitely some some themes that come through. So we know that there is ongoing, you know, uncertainty and and the impact that that has on people's lives. But if I talk specifically about working parents, There's definitely some trends that we see, which I think are really interesting. So, first of all, 95% of parents say that they regularly feel overwhelmed. Now, I don't know what's happening to the other 5%, but, you know, that's a high stat in terms of how do we... How do we juggle or balance, if there is such a thing, our family life with our home life? So that's the first trend that's consistent that we would see. The second one is really interesting when we think about does or is parenting compatible with being senior? Because in some recent research that we did, one in two parents said that they felt being a parent was not compatible with having a senior role. When we dug deeper into that, we found that that was driven predominantly by females. So 75% of females said they didn't think those two things were possible to combine. So when we think about things like women in leadership or gender equality, we know there's kind of a real issue there around, look, can I have both? Can I have a great career and a great family life um, as well? 
And then the the third thing that we're seeing um, is up to one in three dads actually looking for more flexibility at work. So where we see these perhaps edicts of you must now be back in the office, you know, kind of full time and things like that, that's just not really cutting it anymore because we've had this taste of what flexibility can give us. And we're now seeing, which is great, we're now seeing more dads really looking for that from um, their employer as well. So those would be some of the the three key trends, definitely, that we would see in, in the work that we do. Brilliant. And it is a, a big group of, of, of people we're talking about here. I think Tracy alluded before we came on Platform 55, the, the origin of the name, I suppose, the 55% of people out there are in the workforce are already parents. Am I yeah. right in saying that? Ab- absolutely, Owen. And, and if you factor in those people who in the future might be looking or hoping to become a parent, that number is closer to 90%. Not that we're going to rebrand, mm. but, you know, there's a lot of people here, there, here perhaps with their current employer going, is this somewhere where I can have a good career and I can have a family life as well without compromising one or the other? So it's definitely a key consideration when it comes to both attracting great talent, but also retaining them as well. 100%. And let's dig, let's dig a little bit deeper into that, I suppose. And this question will come to, to both of you, but I'll come to yourself first on this one, Mary, if you don't mind. Um, I suppose when it comes to issues, challenges, difficulties that uh, working parents are facing, Mary, any kind of thoughts on that? Anything jumping out from our own kind of experience? Yeah, well, look, I, I've been a working parent for many, many years and um, well aware of the kind of challenges that um, working parents and um, working women in particular face. Uh, and I've talked about it, I think, often on this podcast. I mean, when I had small children, it was very much almost like a military operation to be out of the house ready for the commute, children dropped to creches and schools um, and into work and back out on time trying to collect them all, get home, dinners, baths, homework, school, again the following day, preparing for it, uniforms washed, all, all of these things. So there's just such a multitude that has to be packed into one day for working parents and it is challenging it is difficult if you couple that with um long working hours or unpredictable working hours and i always found in hr um you know i always felt at one point in my life life i felt like i was late for work in the morning because so many things would happen, particularly with three children. And, you know, as each one came, it it became a little bit harder to get out on time. So I, and and if anything went wrong, if there was any issue, if any parent wanted to speak to me in the schoolyard, if if I got delayed a little bit longer in the creche, talking about something that was important um, relating to my child. Well, then I was stuck in traffic and I was later than I had expected and anticipated. And likewise, if something came up at five o'clock and I needed to be out the door by 5.30, uh, which gave me very limited window to pick up the kids. Um, If somebody came and approached me at a certain point in the day, my heart would sink and I would panic. And and here a cycle began. So this, the levels of stress, I think, can be immense. And look, my children are now raised. My youngest is 21, turned 21 um, 
during the week and you know I, I don't face those kind of challenges anymore but I had a hell of a hell of a lot of years of active parenting where these were just my daily realities and I think in many cultures um, those who succeed and become senior within organizations actually work quite long hours uh, and there's an expectation around that and I see an awful lot of organizations you know they'll talk about busy seasons or busy times of the year but they're not really factoring in um, people's commitments and the things that are important to them and something has to give somewhere something has to give and and what is that that's going to give um it, it's usually exhausted working parents isn't it and that's you know people coming back in and logging back into work once the children are in bed um, and therefore sacrificing maybe personal time with each other or you know there's all sorts all sorts of scenarios but you know the flexibility is wonderful it has made a difference to people's working lives but i still think there's a lot for organizations to do that's my my real sense it's maybe not as hard as it was when when I had to be in an office from nine to five thirty five days a week as my core hours, not necessarily my only hours. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the same question to yourself, Tracy. Does that kind of align with I suppose the stuff you're hearing? Does that kind of resonate? Do you think? A hundred percent. And as a working parent myself, I can completely empathise, Mary, with everything you've said there and that feeling of always being on the clock. And certainly if I think about some of the anecdotal stories we get around the guilt that working parents say they often face, you know, perhaps guilt that I'm not there for my child as much as I need to be. And we know that, you know, there's a certain complexity now, you know, lots of children have additional needs or we ran a session recently for parents for our members whose children have anxiety. It was our most attended session that we have ever ran, which breaks my heart to think there's such a need. So, you know, parents are trying to do their best to support their children with whatever challenges they may ha- may have, and they're trying to do a brilliant job at work. And that, as you say, Mary, creates um, tensions. I think if I were to layer on top of that, so there's definitely that thing of overwhelm on the clock, the mental load, (laughs) trying to be everything to everyone. I think if I think about the world that we now are living in, and for many of us, that means working in a hybrid way. There's definitely still workplaces I think are grappling with what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we work as a team? And some of the challenges that we're seeing coming through are perhaps one thing is definitely around bias. So that proximity bias, which shows that we're more likely to give preferential treatment to those that we see regularly. And often that means those who are coming into the office. So how do I still excel in my career whilst not feeling like I have to come into the office every day? How am I I being managed fairly? And then the second bias that we sometimes see is benevolent bias. So people trying or managers thinking they're doing the right thing but perhaps they might say well look Mary's got a lot going on right now she's just back from maternity leave we're not going to ask her to do that because we don't want to put her under pressure well unbeknown to that person then they're they're you know almost being held back the manager may not see that as bias but you know that's what it is so that's part of the education piece we we try to do with managers and then if I think about 
then the other area of challenges that working parents face. I do think that there's still some stigma. So we often talk about thinking traps and those thinking traps being things like, well, if I ask for more flexibility or if I ask to reduce my hours, that's a bit of a career killer. Like, What will people think of me? You know, or um, to be senior, it means you have to be full time. So I would have numerous conversations with people who might say to me, Tracy, I currently use parental leave to do a four day week, but I know to take that next step, I'm going to have to lose that. And I'm not willing to make that sacrifice for my my family. So they're almost discounting themselves, you know, of, of saying, well, I'm just not going to go for it right now. Um, and then the other stigma that we would often see, and this is this is one we're really working hard with this year on our with our members, is that even when uh, parental leave is paid, okay, um, and things like enhanced paternity leave, we're still only seeing uh, just under ten percent of men actually taking it. And I hear sort of anecdotal stories like one dad uh, recently said to me on, on one of our paternity workshops, he said, you know, my manager said to me, yeah, I know you're entitled to take that leave, but you're not actually going to take it all, are you? And I think when you've got those sort of cultures in your workplace, you can have the best policies in the world. But if that's actually what's happening, of course, that dad is going to go, oh, I better not take it all or I better log on. So I think there's those challenges of settling into the hybrid world and then just also overcoming some of the old traditional ways of thinking that we used to operate with and kind of challenging those in this new hybrid world that we live in because they're no longer fit for purpose. So I think we have to start challenging some of our ways of thinking on that. Definitely. I suppose perfect segue on to my next question. And again, I'll come to both you and, and yourself first, Mary. I know, Mary, we talk a lot about policies on this on this podcast and uh, okay you can have your policy but as Tracy said there's the implementation that's that really matters I suppose Mary we have seen a lot of progress in recent years on things like I mean surrogacy leave fertility support menopause all those kind of things which are aligned to I suppose a lot of the challenges of working parents but can I get can I get your thoughts on those developments I mean all fantastic but more to do would that be I'd be right in saying that I think so. I, I, you know, to be honest, like when when we talk about things like um, breastfeeding breaks, I have yet in my career to come across any woman who has requested uh, breaks for breastfeeding purposes, and you know that would probably give you an indication of really how common and prevalent is it? While the legislation might be there, we may have a policy in place to allow for it. In reality, are we actually encouraging it? Um, are we, is it there just because it's part of the law or is it something that is actively supported by organisations? And, you know, I'm, I'm in HR a long time, a long, long time, and yet, no woman has ever approached me to talk about that issue or to even tell me that she's breastfeeding in the workplace. Um, not in the workplace necessarily, but that she's breastfeeding and needs breaks uh, for that purpose. So, you know, when you look at some of our policies and how an organization actually supports their implementation, they're very different things, what we write in paper and what we do. And the example you gave, Tracy, is brilliant because it's, true a lot of men face 
that reality that in a culture that might be quite macho, for instance, uh, to come onto a building site and say you want to take parental leave or, um, you know, that might be completely different than walking into a professional services firm and saying you're, you'd like to take your parental leave. So a lot depends on the environment, uh, the industry, the approach and attitude of, of management. Um, and in this hybrid and remote and, and maybe coming back to in office, we're seeing a big movement in the US to bring people back into work four days a week uh, and in some cases five days a week. Um, you know, those traditional views are still strongly held. Um, and, you know, certainly back when my children were young, you know, I wouldn't have mentioned children in the workplace. It was just an absolute taboo. I wouldn't have raised the fact that I was having challenges around uh, my life or the balance in my life or any of those things. Um, now people are probably saying more, but the reality is for many, many working parents, the pressures are still there. So until you change the structures, the systems, the policies, the procedures, until senior management role model a different type of behavior, I think we'll have more of the same. Um, because if your manager understands and encourages you to go home and, and encourages you to prioritize your family, uh, you will do so. But when there's priorities and things that need to be done, occasionally you'll absolutely pull out the stops and do what needs to be done. It, it's that ongoing, regular, every day I have to log back in at eight o'clock once the children are in bed and I'll work till 11, 12, midnight, you know, and there are countless, countless parents I know that do that. Mm. So Tracy, I mean, the foundations are there for these things to happen, but the reality is quite different, Tracy, isn't it? Are there any employers kind of even leading the way in this, do we think, or again, much more to do? I, absolutely. And I think, Mary, your, your point, you're right in that um, awareness is the, is the first key. And I, I'm very heartened by the fact that so many organisations are now, you know, waking up to the fact that actually you can take care of business by taking care of people. And we see, we're seeing the supports there for fertility and miscarriage and menopause and surrogacy and, and that's that's fabulous but of course it can't just be a launch and leave and great tick we've done that next because we know it takes so much longer to, to embed that so thinking about who who's doing it well, well this is it's a bit like asking me to choose a favorite child one I have to be really careful in what I say here it's okay but challenge. there are a few <laughs> there are a few that that spring out for, for different reasons and I'll kind of elaborate um on that um one a company that really stands out for me is is Ornua. Um, Ornua were a really early adopter and really got what we were trying to do when we launched Platform 55 back in, in June 21. And they very, very quickly came on board because they could see the value. And what I really admire about what Ornua are doing is they are really, um, really implementing policies throughout their numerous sites that they work from but they're just going about and doing it very quietly because they know and they believe it's the right thing to do they're not doing it to kind of you know for to, 
you know, to, to, to create a good PR story. They're doing it because they fundamentally believe in that. And I think that really you can see that being translated in their company results, which kind of speak for themselves. Um, Irish Life, they're also really, um, you know, pushing things forward in their Life Matters series. And they're doing some great work there again around their policies and being really forward thinking. AXA too, in fact, AXA coined a lovely phrase because uh, they were saying, look, we don't just want to launch and leave our policies. We want to launch and love them. So they're really taking on board, Mary, that point you've said around how do we make sure these become part of the fabric of how they, how we work and not just another policy that we have in place. And then the, the final company that I'll mention uh, here is Kerry Group, actually. And to your point, Mary, that you mentioned there about somebody maybe working on a building site might be very different to a professional services firm. One of the things I really admire about Kerry, who we also work with, is they were very keen to make sure that supports were accessible to everybody, even those who worked on the manufacturing sites and who maybe didn't have English as a first language. So they really encouraged us to make some of the services we provide available in six different European languages and Irish Sign Language. So that accessibility was there. And I really admire that approach so that it's not just office-based staff that can benefit from these, these things, but that, that everybody can um, as well. So I think that's been, been fabulous to see. But I think it does, um, one thing, sorry, as just as you were talking there, Marion, it was making me think that, yeah, the policies are great, but it's when you've got, I guess, that psychological safety that if you want to share that with your manager, you can. So if you want to share that you're breastfeeding or that you're undergoing fertility treatment, many people choose not to share, and that's fine. That's a very personal choice. But again, one of the things that we're seeing is that we do have to work that little bit harder in the hybrid world to create that environment. Um, so a lot of the work we do is around managers saying, well, how do you get that in the workplace? And you get psychological safety by showing some vulnerability, by showing some of the challenges that you're having. So again, I think for me, that's where the policies really come to life is when managers feel that they can have those sorts of conversations with the, the teams and individuals that they lead. And again, another perfect segue onto my next question, Tracy. And again, come to yourself. I've come to you both, but yourself first for this one, Tracy. On that point there, how can we support, I suppose, our managers to implement policies and in turn obviously support the employees themselves? I suppose, how confident are managers actually when it comes to these family-focused policies? They know they're good, but how confident are they in actually providing that support? How can we help yeah. them? Many are not confident. <laughs> and in fact, we, we've got research that, that backs this up. And I, I look to my own experience. So I've worked with leaders for over two decades now, and I see myself the shift in what, what we expect of managers and leaders at work. And it's a tough job to get it right. We've really high expectations. So when we asked people, managers, 62% said they weren't really all that confident, even with the basic policies around maternity and paternity leave. When we layered in the more sensitive topics like fertility and miscarriage, that number went up to 80%, eight out of 10. That's a big number, right? So I think um, well, that's a big part of the work that, that we do in, in supporting managers. And I think I hope any manager listening to this takes some reassurance of the fact that when we asked people, what do you want from your manager? They said, I know my manager doesn't have all the answers and I don't expect them to have all the answers. All I need is some empathy. 
and understanding from them. So any manager out there who's worried about, well, I see the wrong thing. I don't want to say anything for fear of getting it wrong. I would say try to, to, to put that out of your mind and just even, you know, saying to somebody, look, what do you need from me? And I think this is really key because there is no one size fits all. So yes, you can have the policy in place. But if I take a recent example of um, people in the same organization who had, within a very short space of time, they both experienced a miscarriage. One individual wanted to come back to work and her manager kept saying, look, no, it's fine, just take some time off. And she was saying, no, you don't understand. I really need to work because it's a distraction and I, I need to come to work. Whereas another individual in the team who had a similar experience was very grateful for the fact that they were able to take a little bit of time off to come to terms with what had happened. So, you know, both have the same policy in place, but that implementation can look very different. So again, it's really for the manager to say, look, you know, acknowledging what's happened. I'm sorry for your loss. What do you need from me? How can I best support you? And even those two questions alone can make a really big difference. So we don't have to have all the answers. <laughs> don't have to get it all right. That's what the HR professionals are for, to help guide and steer. But just asking those questions can make a huge difference to how then somebody feels. Definitely. And I suppose, Mary, that perfectly aligns to what we speak about frequently. I mean, we just had a month on domestic violence, which is a complex and sensitive issue. But I think one thing that always resonates our conversations, Mary, is just making sure that line managers are comfortable with if they have enough line managers have a lot on so making them afraid of talking about something is not going to work is it it's a bit there's a lot of support there Mary to be done absolutely and and you know sometimes now for a manager when they hear about the range of things that they're meant to be providing support uh, to employees and their teams on from mental health to parenting to domestic abuse to uh, physical health and well-being, all of these things um, are being pushed down. And it worries me in some respects that there's just not enough time put into, okay, well, how does the manager deal with this? Because operationally, that manager will still have the same number of tasks and duties and responsibilities. And where is the time for these conversations if they're to happen um, and what if you're just not the kind of person that's a approachable or b knows what to do or say when somebody comes to you and so it really feeds back in I think to our from an education perspective you know uh, what's a new manager looking like in today's modern world and society. And I think that comes back into university and, and training and education at a base level, but then at an organizational level. Well, if we're doing our own internal training, are we cognizant of the number of things we're now asking our managers to do? And that's all well and good if you happen to, you know, be you know, naturally good at um, talking to people. Not everybody is and not everybody is empathetic or understands how to be empathetic. And these are real skills that are becoming more and more important every day of the week. Um, and for managers now, we, we really do need to look at redefining the role. What is the role? Um, 
what you don't want is people completely confused about what it is they're meant to be doing and how much of uh, people's personal lives should a manager actually be involved in. I think you made a good point, Tracy, about, you know, whether whether or not somebody wants to come and talk to you, it is a personal decision. Throughout my life, I've had many different experiences from physical um, issues to managing children, to children's health, to all sorts of things, bereavements, all, all sorts of things. Um, and more often than not, I would have chosen to deal with them privately myself uh, without needing to come and speak to somebody. The times when you might need to come and speak to somebody are when you're struggling to balance, you're struggling to manage your workload. Um, maybe there's challenges that you need particular support with for a particular period of time. Uh, and so I think it's important too, from an organizational perspective that we don't terrify our managers um, and you know have them kind of ready and waiting for all of the personal things that people might start bringing because they have a job to do in terms of getting work done as well and having the team motivated and moving in one direction. So it, it is an area I see a lot of policy development. I see a lot of talk. I see a lot of education and awareness. I'm not seeing a lot of support out there for managers and how are they actually going to do this? And HR really needs to think about that. How are we equipping people for these really delicate and tricky conversations that if you don't have good people skill in the first place, how are you going to manage it? Uh, I think it's important to just shout out there to two managers, um, you know. 100%. And I suppose second to last question then, Tracy, and in a, I suppose a similar train of thought to what Mary is speaking about there, a good element of this, Tracy, is about the kind of soft skills, I suppose, when it comes to managers. And I suppose one of the, the questions I'd written down here for you and it, it flows in nicely, I think, is that when we're remote and hybrid working now, I suppose, particularly for working parents, the, that line between working and life does tend to blur a bit. But is there any kind of, and I'm not even sure if there's an answer for this, but I'd, I'd imagine there is, Tracy, knowing all the stuff you know. But are there kind of some effects, warning signs here that we can, from employers, from employees, are there warning signs out there that we can look and, and spot? just to make sure that work-life balance is still being, I suppose, respected, being felt? Is there any way we can kind of support and keep that eye out, you know, that kind of way? Oh, it's a great question, Owen. And, you know, it's one that I have to be very mindful of myself because I found my own boundaries slipping, um, you know, recently of, you know, me saying, I'll just, I'll just quickly go and check my emails. And, of course, there's no such thing as quickly checking your emails because once you've read something, you can't then unread it and then you're thinking about it. So... I've had to work and I'm very conscious that because I advocate for, you know, uh, working parents in the workplace and everything, I have to kind of role model. Right. So I do I do try to uh, really hard because it is um, it is tricky. So are there warning signs? I think, yes, there are because there is definitely a dark side to flexibility. So what I see from the people we work with is that when we give people flexibility, they usually or they often overcompensate for that. So they will, as you said, Mary, log on when the kids have gone to bed and they'll they'll work, you know, they may have taken an hour off during the day to do a pickup or an appointment, but then they make up for that by working three hours at night just to get through the workload. So I think there's some general practices around are we rewarding 
um, overwork because many people wear this busyness as a badge of honor. You know, how many hours have we worked or what time are we working at? And I had one manager who very honestly said to me um, quite recently, he said, I know I'm biased. He said, I, I think differently of people who leave work at five o'clock on the dot. And obviously, through our discussion, we, we, we talked about how that was not helpful and how actually we need to be rewarding people for their outputs, not the hours that they've worked. So are we kind of recognising that, um, you know, having good, healthy boundaries is actually a thing that we should be celebrating. Am I, as a manager, role modeling that myself? Or am I saying to people, yeah, yeah, make sure you take your breaks, make sure you prioritize the important things, but you see me working through my lunch hour, you see me logging on at the weekends and things like that. Therefore, you know, <laughs> that's never going to work, right? Because if I'm not giving that message, uh, then people aren't really going to believe me when I, when I, you know, tell them to prioritize their own well-being. So I think... We have to, you know, definitely treat people as adults and that respect that people will have different working practices. So, for example, I often get up really early in the morning because that's when I'm at my best and I can do more between 6 a.m. and 7.30 in the morning than I can the whole rest of the day. That's my choice. So I will share that with my team that I work with. They know that if they get an email at an odd hour from me, I do not expect a reply. I wouldn't send an external email. I would put a delay send on that to try to, again, respect that not everybody, you know, is, is working the hours that I do. I will have an auto signature saying I work flexibly. I don't expect a reply out of your own working hours. So I think when we talk up front within our team, and this goes for everybody, whether you're a parent or not, everybody's got something that's important to them in their life. So talking about what boundaries we have in place, sharing that with our team so that we know, for example, that Mary might be uncontactable between five to seven because that's when she has to go and do something. But if there's anything urgent, you know, and it's truly urgent <laughs> um, that, you know, Mary will come back to me, um, you know, later on. So I think there's lots of very small things that we can do um, to reinforce that on a daily basis. But then I do think there's a much wider piece around what are we actually rewarding people for? Because if it's on the amount of hours that they're working, I don't know about well, I won't don't know. I won't judge um, you, Owen and Mary, by my own standards. But I know back in my twenties, I probably worked very long hours. I don't know. I was always productive <laughs> for those hours that I worked. But I can be sure that every single hour that I work now, I'm on the clock. So I have to have to make every hour count. So I think we need to, to again challenge um, some of our mindsets there. And then the final thing I would suggest suggest on this question. And it kind of circles back to what we were talking about at the beginning with this feeling of overwhelm and pressure is, I think, getting really clear on deliverables. So I think when you're really clear about what your priorities as a team and therefore all the individuals within that team are, um, and we agree what the urgent and important things are. I think then it becomes much easier to manage people on their outputs, not their hours. It becomes much easier to allow people to work in a way that's flexible to them. So um, I get worried when I hear about, you know, we must be back in the office five days a week. Of course, working uh, collaboratively has many benefits and it's great when we can physically get together. I don't think we need to be, you know, four or five days a week to do that. 
I get worried there because I think there is a manager who can't set really clear goals for their team. So therefore, they need to be able to see them to know that they're working. So I think the second thing that we can do there is really be clear about what are we delivering and what are the priorities? And when we get that right, I think managing the work home boundaries becomes easier. It's not necessarily easy, but it's easier. So sorry, that was a very long answer <laughs> to a short question, but it's such a big topic. There's so many different things that we could we could say about that one. 100%, but and your final, I suppose, sign off on it there, Tracy, is perfect. I don't think we can expect perfection with these kind of things either, but at least we can, we can put stuff in place to... To, to make it easier. Um, and look, I suppose, final question then, because I can imagine all the working parents are, have their ears perked at this topic. They're probably thinking, I have to be back to the kids now in five minutes. So any final advice? Um, so I think from the HR employer's perspective, Mary, I'll come to yourself first for this one. I suppose any kind of final words of advice on how we can really support these kind of challenges, make working parents feel a little bit more supported? I suppose, where do we start, Mary? Again, a, bit, a big question. So apologies, but... Any kind of final advice on it? I think listening to employee voice is always important. And again, you know, I was struck from the podcast with that we did with Erin uh, Road, Erin, when they were talking about, you know, not being aware of the level of family caring responsibilities that their employees had until they surveyed them. And once they surveyed them, they developed programs around supporting them and, and linked in with Family Carers Ireland um, and have put in place much more robust robust supports for um, people with, with those kind of caring responsibilities. So when we ask people, they will tell us uh, what their challenges are, what their struggles are, um, what their level of responsibilities are. And I think it's a really important part of the discussion around hybrid, in-office, remote um, working and the future of work. I think it's a really important part of that. What do our employees actually want? The challenge then becomes about outputs, as Tracy says, you know, own, we have a very flexible uh, work arrangements here at Insight HR. And probably because I struggled so much throughout so much of my career balancing um, the needs of my children with the needs of my work and always been in a senior role. I was ambitious and I wanted to stay in senior roles, but I had many challenges in terms of managing my children um, and the responsibilities that go with that. And through all their phases and stages in life, you know, the small children to, you know, children with tons of activities to teenagers with uh, social lives and activities and school, you can be really, really, really busy. So asking your employees what matters to them, how you could support them is really important. And I think that's a really good starting point. And then if we say we're going to do something, let's put in place as many supports as possible for the managers um, so that they can get the job done in a productive way and that somebody's flexible working arrangements isn't actually a problem for the organization. If it's properly thought through, like we try to do here, we have people starting and finishing at different times, 
people working different uh, arrangements uh, from different locations. It all works because we we have thought about how it intersects and we ensured that, you know, because someone is finishing at four o'clock, that the whole organization doesn't fall down uh, because they're missing for that hour and a half that other people might actually be here or present or available to the business. And we try to work it out in a way that's flexible and suits each person's life, whether or not they're a parent or otherwise. But you can't just do it. It requires thought and it requires structure and a way in which you can measure people. Um, And if we're asking people to have these conversations, whether it's about surrogacy, miscarriage, uh, fertility, uh, balancing children, working hours, whatever it might be, let's make sure our managers can cope with those conversations. 100% 100% and I suppose final word to yourself Tracy a lot of it is about that intentionality there isn't it any kind of final advice from your perspective yeah ab- absolutely well I mean <laughs> I was going to say imagine if there was um, everything that you needed to support working parents all of one platform but oh hang on there is <laughs> no seriously <laughs> if anybody does want to chat to us we're very happy to do that um, at any point but I think I mean take what you've said Mary definitely listening the support for managers and even very simple things like setting up an employee resource group for I'm going to say working parents but you could put that for carers for for any anybody a chance for people to come together and know that they're not alone and UCD uh, we help them implement their buddy policy and that's a fantastic resource whereby if somebody's kind of just wants to maybe not chat to their manager about some of the challenges that they're facing as you said Mary earlier not everybody wants to share that but if they can share that with a buddy who's walked a similar path to them that's a fantastic resource to have it doesn't cost any money but the benefit um, you know of doing that is, is absolutely huge so I think yeah those those two things would be would be great uh, definitely resources for individuals and then resources for managers as well 100% and so much to think about but thankfully so much to that we can possibly do as well so look thank you Tracy and Mary for a really insightful discussion very enjoyable I'm sure that will resonate with a lot of people working parents HR teams employers alike some some doing all of those two two or three things uh, so, and thank you to everyone for listening, obviously. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. And don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our, so- on our social media channels. We'd love to hear from you in the comments, actually, to see how you see what you thought about this episode. Um, so do feel free to, to let us know. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Tracy, and thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast. The podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember... If you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.